0: Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Today is Communion Sunday. As we have announced this past Sunday, and uh, we announced during the so, uh, on, on our IG and, and Facebook social media, So prepare the elements right now. If you don't have a piece of bread, uh, get it. um, uh, Get a drink of water or or juice. And following the sermon portion of today's service, we are going to be uh, taking part in communion. So go ahead and do that right now. All right. Um, We're going to go jump right back into the book of 1 Peter. Last week we had a guest speaker, uh, Pete Holmes from Open Doors USA. He just gave us a... Uh, a tremendous encouragement and charge uh, regarding the persecution of the churches that are going on and what we can do as a church, what our roles are, and today we're going to go right back into the book of First Peter. So pull up your Bibles, pull up your phones, computer, uh, whatever app that you are engaging the word of God today uh, from. First Peter chapter 1, we are reading from verses 22 all the way to chapter 2 verse 3. You guys ready? All right. Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Amen. Friends, would you bow your heads in prayer with me before we uh, begin studying our text today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to meet in your presence. God, we long for you, Lord. God, we pray as we read, as we study, God, I pray that you would give us revelation, Lord. God, today we we find ourselves uh, understanding and learning about the importance of your written word, Lord. So God, engrave uh, clearly onto our hearts, Lord. And may you uh, impart to us, may you grant us the love that we may crave your word. Uh, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and obey fully, God, all that your word says. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Where we had left off the last time we were in First Peter two weeks ago... Pastor Tavis preached out of one, chapter 1, verses 13 through 24 with the title of the message, A Life of Holiness. He made a necessary connection between our hope and the anticipation of the kingdom of God, how that directly relates to the call of, for we are called to live a holy life and, and that, that we are to be devoted and be wholly committed to the ways of God. The word holy Uh, He helped us to understand that that we are set apart exclusively to the Father, and we are set apart from the ways of sin, and that we are to live our lives in full obedience, just like Jesus was to his heavenly Father. And he suggested that it was not a suggestion, but rather in living a holy life and a life of holiness unto God. This was more of a command. And and, and something that he had said, maybe in passing, just really caught my attention. He he said, while reading verse 16 of chapter 1, he says, Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what he did, he unpacked the whole phrase and the meaning of being holy, that we are to live a holy life. And he says something, the reason why we are to live a holy life is because of the short phrase and the clause that was conveyed in the beginning of chapter 16, which says, because it is written, because it is written, because God said so. And he, he talked about how God's word uh, is the highest and the final authority, and it should be the final authority of our lives here on earth. And the word of God is to be held with the uh, utmost adherence. And he also shared about the concern that he saw in today's world and many Christians lacking the zeal, many Christians lacking the devotion and the adherence to the written Word of God. And I think it's so true, and, and that phrase really resonated in my heart, that, that we find too many people that, that we go out and seek. We choose for ourselves where we receive guidance. We choose for ourselves, even as Christians, where we receive comfort. Too often, it comes down to our own selves that we dictate the terms of how, we, how our lives should be lived. And, and I think it's so true. And I thought it would be a perfect place for us to pick up where we left off the last time we met. And, and I thought if there's anything, if there's something that we as Christians lack in this day and age, is that we have lost our devotion to the Word of God. We have lost sight Of how important God's word is to us. In a season where the world we live in is constantly changing, we often wonder where to place our trust and hope. And the Bible reminds us the temporal nature of this world, and it repeatedly points us to that will last forever. In this case, that should be, and that is absolutely the word of God. And today, uh, the title of my sermon is, is called The Supremacy of God's Word. And I want to just draw three important truths uh, that I believe that God is wanted to convey to us. First is simply God's Word is reality. Second, God's Word helps us to perceive the world right way. Third and last, God's Word and shall give us comfort. All right, so those three points, and we're going to spend a little bit more time on the first one because if we understand the importance and that that Word of God is reality to us, and I think it will be easier for us to cling on to the rest of the sermon points. Here again, just to... Uh Recap What we have been talking about, remember, Apostle Paul here is writing this letter to all the Christians in the first century during a time where they faced enormous amount of suffering, hate, persecution, oftentimes physical torment, and death was also a reality for many Christians of that time. And this letter is primarily a message of hope and conveying the reality of the kingdom of God, uh, conveying the importance that we are not to place our trust and faith in the things that are seen, in the things that are touched and could be experienced here on earth. But Peter is, remember, Peter is constantly trying to shift our attention to something more eternal, something that is not transient or temporal, but something that is more solidified, something that is more reliable and grounded. And he's doing that. He's making the necessary connection. Now here, he's all of these things, the commandment to even be holy, all of these things is connected to the word of God that is unchanging. And he quotes directly from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 7 through 8. When it begins that passage, uh, you shall see that it's, it's written in all caps. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like flowers of the field. That, and The rest of that passage is a direct quotation from prophet Isaiah. He's saying, now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another. Your new life is not like your old life. And he says, a life conceived by himself, God himself. There's something that you are, um, uh, you are born, not of something that is perishable, but it's something that is imperishable. Why does he do this? What does this mean for us? What does it mean for the, the readers of Peter's letter? And Peter is conveying that old life is fading and fading quickly. It's beauty as short-lived as wild flowers. It will come and go. He talks about how grass dries up, flowers wilt. But he says, but God's word will endure forever. Meaning it will go on and on and on and on. Simply the first point that I want to begin today is God's word is the absolute reality. Let me see that. God's word is Reality. Peter is highlighting that here, that God's word is reality. Verse 23, let me read for you. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. It's very interesting. Peter says God's word has the ability to to endure and to live forever. And he's conveying the contrast of the transiency of the present reality here on earth versus God's word that is forever, that is eternal, that is indestructible. And all of that God's word conveys absolutely comes true. In other words, Peter is conveying here, I believe that God's word is the greatest reality. It is the truest, it is the most sure thing on the face of the earth. It's because God's word is unchanging. What has been written by him, what has been conveyed about him and over him, over, the, over throughout history, it has stood the test of time, consistently and constantly giving clear guidance for the people of God. And that unchanging nature of God's word allows us to cling to it because God's word is reality God's word is absolutely credible. This unchanging nature of God's word, this enduring nature of God's word—it's as though that Peter is making the important connection between what had been said of God, from God is what, what God is still, God, who God still is today, what He's able to do today, carrying out the promises of the old. Let me expound on that importance just just a little bit more. Consider just the prophetic nature of God's Word, how that can be reality for us, meaning what God has revealed through His Word, it will always come true. What God has promised through the Scriptures, meaning through the written Word of God, it will always be fulfilled in our present reality and the future reality to come. So consider the prophetic nature of the Word of God. You know, let me quote another passage from Prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, verses 10 to 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He's talking about the nature of rain, right? And what it does that it wets the ground, that it it, it fertilizes the ground and whatever seed that has been embedded underground, that rain is sure to sprout and in turn causing the seed to bear fruit in due season. And he's comparing that and immediately says, and so will my word be. He's making a direct correlation with the present reality, the principle of the earthly life. He says now, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will now return to me empty, Without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter which, for which I sent it. Did you guys hear that? Meaning I will speak a word, something will be conveyed through my mouth, and it will never return to me empty-handed. It will never return back to me void. How amazing is that? And it says the word of God will always accomplish what it was set out to do. And talk about the will and the, 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 the power of God. You know, I make a lot of promises. I will a lot of things. I have willed to live a healthy life. I have willed to uh, eat clean. I have willed at some point in my life to never uh, lie. I, I, have, I have willed at, at certain port- uh, uh, some portion of my life to, I have made vows, I made promises. Guess what? Because I'm a fallen human being, I often come short of the promises that I make for myself. Even if I have vowed, I am prone to coming short of adhering to the promise or the vow that I make. Because of the fallen nature of humanity. But see what the Word of God says. God's Word is different than that. It says, whatever God has declared, whatever God has conveyed through his word, it will never, ever return to him void. It will not return without completing its purpose. For that reason, brothers and sisters, we are able to cling to the word of God. Because what God has said once, that becomes our reality. Amen. John chapter 17, verse 17 it says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Here, the word truth does not only mean factual. Jesus, uh, Jesus. this is part of Jesus' intercessory prayer as he look o- looks over the city of Jerusalem. It, he's not just talking about facts. He's not just talking about facts. He's not so- just talking about what's something right and, and wrong, something right and something that is good. Here, the word aletheia. Uh, the, the Greek word for truth, it, it's equally translated to what is real and the reality. Meaning, the word of God, the truth of God is genuine. The truth of God is not only right, but it is the reality of our world. Meaning, let me let me summarize that uh, the first and and the most important portion of today's sermon, the hope of eternity the reality of heaven and hell, the impending judgment that's to come, and the rapture and resurrection, uh, resurrection of believers and saints from here on earth, we have to realize that all of these truths that are conveyed in the Bible are to be real. Did you get that? Let me frankly ask you, brothers and sisters, do you believe that everything that the Bible says to be true? You know, I have my Bible in my hand today. Do you believe all the contents of this Word of God is true? And all the prophetic messages, all the stories are, are, are not just stories of inspiration, but these stories are the reality which God had conveyed to us. Meaning all the things that have been written about us concerning the future, it has the power and it, it, it does possess the, the potential to be absolutely true in the course of our lives. If... God's word is truly reality for us. Now, how dependent are we on the word of God? As we understand that God's word is true and God's word is eternal, uh, we will realize that it will help us perceive the world the right way. Okay, I'm going to move on to the second point. First is, God's word is reality for us. Second God's word helps us to perceive the world the right way. When we fully grasp the reality of God, when we fully understand that that the Bible conveys to us the ways of God, the character of God, and the plans of God, understanding it and reading God's word should convey to us, should give us the ability to perceive the world the right way. Friends, about three or four months ago, I started noticing that my vision was getting blurry. Uh, staring at the computer at an extended period of time because of COVID is one of those things. And spending much time in reading small prints, reading the Bible, and reading, uh, you know, reading the books. And, and I think it just over time, and particularly in the last year or so, uh, I think my, my eyes were just uh, working overtime. Uh, or simply I was just getting older, now now it turns out. So I went to the optometrist. I I, I think the last time I went to the optometrist was, um, I was like 19. At that time, I was just a a sophomore in college, and I wanted to go to the optometrist because I wanted to wear glasses, fake glasses. Why? Because I wanted to look smart. Yeah, you could judge me right now. Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. I remember I was 19, I went to the optometrist. Please get me some fake glasses. So I, got, I bought myself or I, someone in my family got me uh, the frame and I, and I went and I got some uh, fake lens or, or lens that was just did nothing. So it had been more than 20 years since I found myself in the optometrist but this time I had to go there because I had trouble reading and I had trouble with my eyesight. So I go long story short, and I'm told that the reason why my vision is getting blurry, reason why my reading and even uh, staring at the computer screen is, is being uh, affected is because I'm getting older. The official word that the doctor opt- optometrist used was presbyopia, which basically means, fancy way of saying, old man eyes. So guess what? I have old man eyes. So uh, because of COVID, it took some time, so uh, at the end of December... I got me one of these. Uh, it's glasses um, that's supposed to help me read uh, very close distance. And this, these glasses also help me uh, to stare at the computer screen at an extended period of time. Guess what? It does wonders. I also got it a, a blue light tint. So when I look at it and stare at the computer screen, my eyes are not tired. I can see more clearly things that were blurry for me. I'm able to see more clearly. My eyes are less tired. Guess what? I think I need one more pair for driving. I don't know. Like, so, uh, my vision is affected in many ways. So I'm going to probably soon need another pair of glasses. But, but, I mean, it's not perfect. But without it, I mean, now... Everything seems so blurry, even when I put it on right now. Look at, uh, stare at myself in the camera. So much clearer, I could see better. You know, I can't quite make out what the street signs say without, you know, like even right now, everything is getting blurry these days. And and even like without my glasses, it strains and it painfully hurts my eyes when I try to read a book more than five minutes. But as soon as I put on my glasses, things that are blurry, things I could not quite make out sure what they are, this allows me to see much better. You get that? And I believe that the Word of God is like reading glasses for us, meaning, reading the Word of God, God's Word, through which we can see the world more clearly. And the word of God is supposed to help us in this regard. The world we live in is constantly evolving. Are you, do you feel and do you sense what I'm sensing these days? Do you feel like the world is moving at a faster pace than we can comprehend, that we can catch ourselves up to? And it is exactly what our passage is telling us today. It, our passage is conveying to us there will be turnings of season as the grass is turning, as the flower fades, the leaves or the flower petals are falling off. And it's talking about the fast changing pace of the world that we live in. And this challenges us immensely as we are having to respond appropriately. And I really believe this. In a world that is fast-changing, the Word of God is supposed to give us direction. The Word of God, the written Word of God, is supposed to provide for us guidance regarding many things. And we will see greater confusion in the days to come. We will see more topics and issues that we will find ourselves so confounded Not knowing, even as evangelical Christians, not knowing where to stand. Having a difficult time discerning what are we supposed to do, how are we to convey the truth of God, and how are to exemplify the character of God? Friends, that answer lies within the written scriptures which God has left us. Amen? And we're supposed to get that. The word of God that is unchanging The Word of God that is true reality for us. The Word of God that is immovable. That is to serve as a a foundational piece. Or like the song that we sang today, like the cornerstone providing us sustenance, providing us clear direction which the world should be perceived. So first, the supremacy of God's Word. First is what? God's word is reality. Second, God's word helps us to perceive the world the right way. The final and last point here the word of God is supposed to comfort us. Say it with me, the word of God comforts us. Meaning, it's through God's word that we are to draw strength that we are to draw encouragement. So not only guidance, not only helping us with truth-bearing, but the Word of God is supposed to give us strength and encouragement in the days that we live. We are to draw strength and encouragement not just by the way we feel, not what we are told, not what we are conveyed by the things of the world or messages just compiled randomly in various avenues in the world. But we ought to draw strength in the word of God. In my hand is Sammy's old, my first uh, child, my, my, my son's old baby blanket. This is actually edition second edition. The first edition had to be retired and discarded because it was old, smelly, and you guys know baby blankets. Like at certain point, it just becomes nasty. So we had to retire the first edition, and this is a second edition which had its uh, uh, life uh, span for about like two, three years after the replacement. So my son Samuel, uh, one of the first words that he ever learned, or first words that he ever uttered, was. The word aji. It, I don't think that word exists, but, but it existed in his world. And this is what he called this little baby blanket. He used to call this aji. And my son dragged this. My son took this blanket everywhere. And some of you young parents know exactly what I'm talking about. There is usually a blanket like this or a raggedy doll that That should belong in the trash can. But I'm sure that if you have a baby, there's something like this in your household. I mean, my son had this with him everywhere he went. And, oh, I don't know, until he was like four or five. I don't know, maybe that's too long of time. Or maybe even longer than that. When he would play, he would look for this. When he would go to bed, he absolutely needed this. Out of the out of bath, I mean, when he comes out of bath, he's looking for this. For the uh, and when he's watching TV or when he's just cuddling with us, he had to have this little blanket with him. When we would go to long go on a, a long car rides, he would want to hold on to this, etc. You know, as they say. This was his security blanket. Security blanket. A- a meaning something that kids would consider as protection. And psychologists say that the reason why they're doing this is because it gives them comfort. It relieves any fear and anxiety. Even as little babies and kids, when they feel stressed, when they feel like oh they don't know what's going on, they don't know like, how to feel having this little fuzzy or or, or soft blanket with them, it gives them tremendous comfort and peace. And over time, something so familiar to them, the thing that is most familiar to them gives them the greatest amount of comfort. Let me say that again. Something that is most familiar to them provides the greatest comfort for them. Especially during the time when experiencing anxiety, stress, and discomfort. You see, come on. You see, the Word of God is that for us. The Word of God should be that for us. That we are so familiar with it, that we have been enamored by God's Word, that we have been so immersed in the presence of the Word of God, that we have been conveyed and we have been convinced of God's Word, so much so that in times of need, in times of anxiety and fear, in times where things are unclear and unknown for us, when the pressures come around us to the point where we don't know what to do, you see, we are called to cling to the Word of God. Again, what is the context of which Apostle Peter is writing this to? He's talking about there's suffering all around them. There's pain. Their friends, their neighbors, and their family members are literally, literally losing their lives. And the reality of persecution is coming heavy upon them. And even their own lives, there's no longer certainty. And Peter is conveying right here, but forget not the reality of God's word. Forget not what God has revealed to us over a period of time. What, forget not what he has prophesied of this time of the world. It is now again, again, now we look towards the reality of heaven we look towards, we depend on the reality of eternity and the reality of things to come. And you cling to God's word. Friends, let me ask you this question. What brings you comfort? What brings you, what is it that brings you the sense of security? What is that security blanket? What is this Aji for you in your life? What brings you comfort? What brings you peace? Confidence. So often, the people of God, the followers of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves trusting in trusting more in our own ambition. We find ourselves trusting more in our own smarts, our intelligence. We trust in more in our hard work. We trust in more in our safely devised plans and security for our lives. We, we trust in more and bigger and more uh, uh, bank accounts. We trust in more in real estate. We trust in more in our own stock portfolio and, and, and the portions of our investments. What secures you? What, what gives you this, the greatest sense of security? I'm talking about what gives you that feeling. I, the, the best example that I could think of like, uh, this week was that, you know, when you have a hearty meal, like it's just delicious, and you didn't overeat, you, you, you ate just enough to that feeling, uh, and you're going to bed, it's not heavy, uh, you ate uh, good balance, a uh, little bit of vegetables, little bit uh, in, enough carbs and uh, protein, and when you go to bed, there's a, that warmth, Warm sense of like, oh, man, I, I feel so good. You guys know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you have that feeling and just that fur, uh, warm, fuzzy feeling in your, in, in your gut that makes you feel good, right? And, and I'm talking about that. What gives you that sense of uh, feeling secure, warm, and feeling good about your life? And I think if you could be honest we find that comfort in the ways that we have made arrangements for our lives. We find that peace and comfort when we see our kids thriving and the successes of our children give us that false sense of security for our future. When we have accrued more money over the years, that gives us a sense of security and we feel good about facing the future and the unknown when we get our test results from our physical exam and we have a clean bill of health, wow, that gives us a sense of security and confidence. Guess what? The thing that gives you the greatest peace and security, that warm feeling in your gut, that reveals where you place your trust. That reveals what gives you the greatest confidence. And unfortunately, it's not found in our reliance on the Word of God. You know what? Let me, let me convey this and then we'll uh, bring the sermon to close. You know, we talk about idolatry, right? We talk about idol worship, right? You know, I don't, I don't think uh, too many of us think ourselves as idol worshipers. I don't think I've ever thought that. I don't think I've ever considered myself at any point in my Christian life that I'm an idol worshiper. I don't think you, being Christian for for many years, I suppose, that you probably have not considered yourself as an idol worshiper. No way. Idol worshiper? I don't have statues. I don't have shrines in my house. I don't have carved up images of foreign gods or random gods or or figures. I don't have no good luck charms. You see, therein lies the greatest deception. We think we're okay. We think we're exempt from this particular sin because we don't have physical images of idols. We succumb to this without even knowing. Check this out, guys. The word of God, uh, uh, the things that, that, that proceed out of the mouth of God, that is to become our security, the unchanging nature of God. But you know what? You know what's different? You, you know what idol worship is all about? We place our trust in the carved-up images. That's, we, we physically relate to what? What? There, that gives a sense of peace. That gives a sense of strength. That gives a sense of man, that the feeling of I can be protected, I can be invincible against all the harmful things in the world. Guess what? If our trust and faith is found in something else or anything else here in the world, guess what? You and I are just as prone for idolatry. You and I are in violation of that first commandment. That that, 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 that has become Our idol. The Word of God is to be our security. This unchanging, this guideline to the heart of God, this shall be our comfort. I understand, absolutely, life is hard, but we know the end of the story, do we not? The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, we are in the world, but not of it, and we live for the glory of God that's to come. Man, I pray that you would know, and you would know, and live in the supremacy of God's word. Let me land the plane. Let me uh, finish off the sermon here. We cover three powerful truths. First, God's word is what is reality. Second, God's word helps us to perceive the world. The right way. Third, God's word gives us comfort. Let me read for you uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and we will end the sermon for today. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and like all newborn babies, Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And Paul, uh, Peter, not Paul, Peter talks about the um, the, the long lasting power of God that is able to endure through periods and, and, and different eras. Right? God's word endures forever. He talks about it now. He says, like newborn babies, just like little ones, as they crave for the pure m- milk of their mothers, so shall we crave the word of God. Peter is saying here, cling to God's word, depend on God's word, God's word that is unchanging, God's word that is real, God's word that is powerful, God's word that is able to give us direction, God's word that comforts us. Now crave it like babies crave milk, like fat kid loves cake. So you and I shall cling to the Word of God. Amen? Oof, talk about milk and cake. I want some right now. Are you with me? So I pray that in this generation, this day and age, this written Word of God shall be more intimately loved and cherished than any other period of our time than any before How near is God's word to you? Do you read it? Let me be very frank. I'm going to just wait. I want you to be able to answer those questions. First of all, do you believe that everything that the Bible conveys is true? Do you believe that the Bible is able to provide direction and provide comfort for our lives. Do you love God's word? Do you read God's word? When was the last time that opened your Bible outside the church service time? When was the last time you sat and memorized a piece of scriptures? Brothers and sisters, may you and I become lovers of the word. And there are different avenues which you can do that this week. Of course, first of all, you can read on your own. I'm sure you have your Bibles at home. Read. Listen to the Bible app. If you're not listening to, if you're not logging on to Sunday services, begin there. Guess what? If you're a rooftop church member, you have access to uh, Instagram account and uh, log on to Daily Bread. We read one chapter a day. Right now we're in the book of Judges. We spend 10, no more than 15 minutes max, usually just 10, 12 minutes every morning at 8.30 in the morning, log on. Hear the word of God. Listen and be transformed by the word of God. And you can do that. No more excuses. No more procrastinating. And let us cling to the word of God. God's word is real. And it is my prayer as your pastor, as your beloved friend, that you and I be Committed to God's word. That we may love it. That we may adore it. and we may cling to all that we have. Amen. Let's pray.